Be here? Me too. Just thank the Lord for being here. A um, couple things before I uh, get started here. Um, some of you know, not everybody knows, but uh, Gary Ashling had surgery also this past week um, to remove a tumor from his liver, I think. Um, put him on the prayer chain. But uh, Diane's daughter, Molly, Molly, are you here? Can you wait? Molly's right there. Um, they're going to need some meals starting this Thursday. So if you would be willing to help them out maybe with a meal, you can see Molly um, or give her a call and to coordinate those um, just while Gary is in recovery, while Diane's kind of nursing him back to health. Um, so if you guys want to help him out with that, you can see Molly after church and, um, or give her a call too. Um, also, just something to mention, um, I mentioned this last week, we're going to be taking questions over the next few weeks. It's on the other side of your bulletin tear-off. Um, my lovely wife and I, Athena, will be, uh, in the month of November, we're going to be continuing the series of Above and Beyond, but Above and Beyond in Marriage and Families. And so if you have questions, and you can see um, question topics, uh, relationships, love, sex, parenting, um, all of those things, uh, not that we're going to have the answers for all of them, but we know the one who has the answers to all of them. And so you're going to give questions, we're going to seek him, we're going to read the word, and uh, we'll have a response, uh, maybe not to all of them, but to, uh, to some of them. And I encourage you to ask those questions. Nothing's off limits. Feel free to, uh, to write those questions and then turn them into the office, and we'll be compiling them over the next several weeks. So I encourage you to do that. Also, um, earlier, older men, I, my wife informed me that I said we need to treat the older men like mothers. <laughs> if some of you guys caught that, if you didn't, that's what I said. So, uh, older men, my apologies to you. Um, shows you I'm getting a little older. Um, you hit 40, man, and your brain, you have to work your brain a little harder, you know? It's like sometimes it doesn't want to cooperate. I, my apologies. You are fathers, not mothers. Isn't it fun? We can laugh at each other, or you guys can laugh at me. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Lord, thank you for your presence that's here. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we have already had in your presence. Thank you that you're still here. And Lord, thank you that we can laugh at ourselves and uh, we can come and have fun together as the family of God, that we can hear from you, we can hear from your word to be encouraged, to be built up, to uh, to be equipped to go out and be the church. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come today, that you would continue to speak to our hearts. You would illuminate the Word of God as we uh, dive into the Scriptures. And we thank you, God, that your Word is alive and powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And there we can find life. And Lord, I do pray, God, that we would go above and beyond that, Lord, through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would do great exploits for the kingdom of God, that we'd be going above and beyond the call of duty in our everyday lives, and that you would give us strength as we walk with you, as we are infilled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we are equipped by the Word of God to go out and be the church, to go above and beyond the call of duty, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be back in the book of Judges. This week we will be in Judges uh, 7, some. This is kind of a continuation, well not kind of, it is a continuation of last week. 
Courage and Obedience Part 2. I've been in this series about going above and beyond the call of duty as believers in Jesus, that we are called then more than having an existence of, of just simply surviving and you know, grinding through until the great coming of Jesus and you know, the sweet by and by. And we are called to advance the kingdom of God as His people. We are called to be a part of His army. And naturally, as people and followers of Jesus, and we think of ourselves as, you know, and Paul says, take up the, the whole armor of God to indicate that we're in battle, that we're going to have the enemy fighting against us, and we're going to have the enemy trying to interfere, and we have to battle him, but not by our own strength. But to go above and beyond in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of His Word. And so this week we are going to be, and we have been looking at this topic of, of how it relates to, to courage and obedience. We've been, we, we talked about trust, we talked about surrender, those ideas of when we think about going above and beyond to live surrendered, unconditional surrender, the utmost of trust and faith in Christ, and now courage and obedience. This is kind of spiritual life lessons from the story of Gideon. I love this story. I hope in heaven, and I said this before, but I hope in heaven that while we're there, we get to see a replay of some of the things that happened in the Bible. Wouldn't you love to see that? I don't know if it's going to be a jumbotron or maybe it'll be like a 3D, you know, actual kind of thing that we'll be able to see that unfold. Wouldn't that be fun? Like, you know, tonight at heaven, you know, at the, at the uh, amphitheater, I think it'll be a golden amphitheater, just, that's just my imagination, um, but the replay of David and Goliath, wouldn't that be sweet? And then you get, afterwards, have David come up to the golden microphone, and all the technology will work in heaven, it won't be too loud or too soft, we'll all be just excited, but, and just have David tell us about that, wouldn't that be fun? Okay, maybe, maybe just to me. Gideon's another one of those stories of, of just, you know, just how it all unfolded. And, uh, and, and we looked last week, and I'm going to get into the, to last week but, um, a little bit, and then we'll get into this week. But I love the Word of God. I love the people of the Word. I love how God puts these people in there that are, that are broken like us. They have issues like us. They, you know, trying to walk out their faith. Um, you know, some of our heroes of the faith, you know, they even, we look at David and some of our young people are doing the life of David, but, you know, David didn't have this perfect track record, you know, God didn't see him and say, well, you know, there's a guy that is, is, is you know, he's a man after my own heart and he walks perfectly before me and that's why I'm going to choose him. God didn't say that he's a man after my own heart, but he had some major deals go down in his life. What made him a man after God's own heart was that he had failure, but it was his response to God that made him a man after God's own heart. Of when he blew it, the response of repentance and crying out to God, I, I, I need you. you I, I've sinned against you. I need your, I need your washing. I need your forgiveness. I, 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 you know, cleanse my heart, oh God. And we sing those songs of Psalm 51, you know, uh, that, are, that are so famous, but cleanse me and, and help me to be right before you. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. I think that that's what got God's attention. He said, I like that guy's heart. His response was right. And so we're going to look at the life of Gideon, spiritual life lessons of Gideon. This is the book of Judges. 
Again, we're going to see a guy here who's got some issues. We're going to pick up in the story where we left off last week, but uh, kind of a theme um, passage of the book of Judges is this. It's actually the, the very last verse in the book of Judges. It says that the people did what was right in their own eyes. If you're taking notes, say, right next to it, that's not good. The people did what was right in their own eyes. This is what this, this kind of vicious cycle that we see in the book of Judges, and we see it again in the Kings. It's fallen, depraved, broken humanity kind of taking the reins from God. And we, I'm telling you, if you read it, you can see a lot of yourselves and the, the warnings of Scripture. And that's why we have these people is to see some of the things they did. And God, help me not to do some of those things. Help me to live like this, but help me not to do this. God, when I blow it, help me to have the response of David. But we see these people, and, 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 and the, the vicious cycle of judges was, uh, once again, I said this last week, was you know the people, they would get away from God, they would take the reins from God, the steering wheel from God, whatever your metaphor is, they would you know, take, I'm the pilot now, and I'm going to take control of this thing, and I don't want God, I don't really want you involved, I don't want you doing anything, I don't want you telling me what to do, I will steer this plane myself. And they would get out from underneath God's authority and they would go their own way. And ultimately, the consequences of that was the enemies of, of, of Israel would take them over. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of, you know, it's, it's the natural consequences. It's some of that tough love of you come out from underneath God, you do your things your way. Well, there's the natural consequences of what's going to happen. So they would walk away from God. They would be taken over by their enemies. And that's the book of Judges, and, uh, and, and, they, and then they would cry out to God, they would get under this oppression, God help us, please forgive us, we're sorry, we will do things your way. God would appoint a judge, he would come in and rescue Israel, and that's where you have some of these dramatic stories of rescue. Then they would have a time of peace. Then the judge would either be done judging or pass away in his generation, and then it says the, that the people would go back into going away from God again. They would begin to worship idols, and they would begin to do things their way, and I'm not going to be told by God what to do. And, and then the, the, the cycle repeated over and over. And some of it we can read from a, a, from a, from a place of tragedy and say, you know, because I read it and my heart breaks. You see some of the kings even, and they, they blew it, and you're like, God, oh my goodness, I, I don't want to live like that. But we also need to see through the lens of the life of God found in the Scripture. Say, God, help my response to be right before you. Help me to walk in the fear of the Lord. Help me to understand that if the godliest man on the planet that lived, at the, you know, David, if he can fail, I can fail. The strongest man, Samson, if he can fail, and he did, I can fail. The wisest man, Solomon, who had all the wisdom that, that, that you can imagine. If, if he can fail, I can fail. And we need to walk in the, a level of the fear of the Lord, and not terrified of the Lord, but the fear and honor of the Lord and, and the intimacy of God too. It's the fear of the Lord and the intimacy relationship with God that helps us to walk. And so that, as we read these, uh, these stories, let us glean what God is speaking to us and, and obey Him. But I'm going to just run through, um, we looked at uh, six life lessons last week. I'm just going to hit on those again. Um, the story goes is that uh, Israel has been under the oppression of the Midianites. The Midianites of the day were very, very powerful. 
I mean very powerful. They were trained, skilled, their, 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 their army was trained, skilled warriors, um, and they had come into Israel, they were oppressing Israel, and it says even to the point where Israel would raise crops, and they would just come in, and they would steal their crops, they would kill their livestock, and so it was just constant pressure and oppression over the Israelites. Seven years they're living under this great oppression, and so they cry out to God, and they're, they're hurting, and they cry out to God, and God sends His angel to Israel, finds Gideon, and here's Gideon. We have him threshing wheat in a wine cellar. He's in hiding. They're in fear, and they would thresh their wheat down in, a, in, you know, in these hiding rooms and basements, basically trying not to, to, to let the Midianites see their grain, and they're trying to you know, hide it. And so here's Gideon threshing the wheat down there. This angel of the Lord comes to him and says to him, you mighty man of valor, or the Lord is with you, you mighty warrior. You know, and Gideon is just thinking, do you have the right guy? And we see the story unfold, and I want to pick up the life lessons. Life lesson number one was this, live under God's authority. I know that's very simple, but live under God's authority. They got themselves there because they got out from underneath God's authority. If I could encourage you, and if you could just take one thing away from, from this today, is daily, every day that you wake up, every day to wake up and say, God, I want to live life your way. Today, I want to live my life your way. And then get up the next day and say, God, whatever happens today, I want to live life your way. Live under God's authority. The life lesson number two was listen to God and obey his word. Is God pointing out something? What is He saying to you? Is there an area that He is pinpointing in your life that you need to get underneath His authority? And that's this whole idea of, of you know, when we live and, and, and we have different areas of, of control in our lives and some of those areas that we hate putting those underneath the, the authority of God and surrendering to those, those God, I'll take care of this, God, you take care of that. I, I surrendered that, but let me hang on to this. And God's saying, no, what about that? I want your life to be under my authority. So the angel of the Lord, you know, has this exchange with Gideon, you mighty man of valor, you, you, you know, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And, you know, and Gideon doesn't say, well, all right, yes, okay, tell me more. Gideon begins to reveal great disappointment. And he says to the angel, well, if the Lord is with us, then why, is all of these, why are all these things happening to us? Why this oppression? Why the Midianites? What is going on here? If the Lord is really with us, then why is this stuff happening? And he begins to debate the angel. And it's interesting in the passage that the angel does not get into this exchange with Gideon. Because the prophet before had already explained why they were in the condition. It was they were not underneath God's authority and they had stopped listening to God. And so he, the angel says, I want you to go in the strength that you have been given to rescue Israel. And then Gideon starts making excuses. He's like, well, um, number one, I'm... Uh, I'm, I'm my, my clan is the lowest clan, um, the lowest family. I'm basically the runt. I think you got the wrong guy. So lesson number three, spiritual life lesson number three is start seeing yourself how God sees you in Christ. Start seeing yourself how God sees you 
in Christ. Because fear, doubt, struggles, those things that we deal with, maybe a label has been put on your life, maybe somebody verbally abused you and you have just kind of almost adopted these things about yourself like Gideon. Well, I'm, I'm insignificant, I can't do this. And, you know, in and of ourselves we can't, but in Christ we can do all things, Paul said. Spiritual life lesson number four was this. We have to fight through discouragement to go above and beyond. We have to fight through discouragement. Again, that whole exchange of Gideon, where were you? And you know what? We can look at life and we can see the lens of, of see through the lens of hurt and offense towards the Lord, especially, you know, when maybe you prayed something and it didn't happen. And that was that a couple weeks ago when I talked about trust in Joseph, you know, here he was trying to do the right thing and it seemed like God was repaying him. You know, I have a man of integrity, then I get falsely accused. God, what are you doing? And sometimes in the big scheme of things, God sees the big picture we don't, and we have to fight through discouragement because the enemy will throw that at us. And the enemy will say he will always question God's goodness in your life. It's the original lie in the garden. There's nothing new that the enemy comes at us with. What did he say to Adam and Eve? What did he say, you know, when, when Eve is standing there next to the tree that they weren't supposed to partake of? Did God really say that? Did God really say that you're not to touch that? Did God really say, and he's calling God's goodness into question. Basically, God's holding out on you. God doesn't want you to have the best. God wants to, and, and, and discouragement can then lead you into a life of sin. When you get under shame and discouragement and you believe the lies of the devil, that is a slippery slope into living a godless life because then it's like, well, who cares? Why try? You have to fight through discouragement. Spiritual life lesson number five is courageously obey what God is telling you to do courageously obey what God is telling you to do. He looks at Gideon. He said, go in the strength that you've been given to rescue the people. And Gideon had to make a decision. He had to make a determination. I can sit here in the basement and thresh wheat and hide out and say, well, no, I'm not qualified and I'm not going to do it. But he stood up and he went in the strength of the Lord. So you have to courageously obey what God is telling you to do. And this can be a big issue in our lives. It may be a smaller issue. It just may be a, a day-to-day thing of obedience that you need to walk in, that I need to walk in. The key is just to obey God, to walk with Him. And through that, again, through that fear of the Lord and through that intimacy, He will give us the power to obey Him. Maybe it's an integrity character issue, a relational issue, a marital issue, financial issue, serving, reaching out. What is He telling you to do? And then uh, the, the last thing we talked about last week is this, lesson six. Stop making excuses of why you can't or won't do something for God and make yourself available to Him. God is not looking for our abilities. He's not looking for the cream of the crop. Just look at the disciples, if you're wondering. He's looking at those who will make themselves available to Him to trust Him and obey Him with courage. So let's pick up the story today. We're going to be in Judges chapter 7. And we're going to move along. I love this story. I'm going to read the text first, and then we'll, we'll kind of talk a little bit about the, 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 the life lessons of this week. It's kind of a lengthy reading. Um, I'm, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If that doesn't match yours, you can follow along as you like, or you can just listen. But uh, the first 22 verses of, of Judges chapter 7. So Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, that's his other name, and his army, they got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. 
The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, this is so funny. This is one of those unpredictable things of God. You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home. That is a lot of scaredy cats. Leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. Now you got to look from the lens. Gideon has been dealing with fear. He's threshing wheat in a basement. He's giving God every excuse of why he's not the right one. And look what God is doing. I mean, doesn't this, from an observational point of view, does not make any sense whatsoever? Obedience. So Gideon collected the provisions and the ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home, but he kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night the Lord said, get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. I love verse 10, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute. But if you are afraid to attack, go to the camp with your servant, Pura. Sounds like that might be a contradiction if you're afraid. Didn't he send all the Frady cats home? Verse 11. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like swarms of locusts. In the Hebrew, that means a lot. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. This is one of the funniest dreams in the Bible. So there's two Midianite guys that are talking about a dream that one of them had. And the man said, I had this dream. In my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, the Bible is fun. I mean, this is great. I mean, you're like, is this really the Bible? Yeah, this is really the Bible. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. Of course it can. God has given Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. I'm dreaming of bread smashing a tent, and that can only mean one thing. God is giving over the entire Midianite army. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. He's like, yes. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man, this is interesting, a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. He didn't hand out swords. 
guns, I mean, something, you know, let's shoot somebody. You know, not that they had guns back then, you know what I mean. Verse 17, then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as, as, soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And those who were not killed fled to the place, places as far away as Beth Shita near Zerorah and to the border of Abel Mahola near Tabith. I guess far away is where we can define that. Isn't that a fascinating story? Verse 2. God says to him, you have too many men. Okay, here, let me, let me break this down for you. They've got 32,000 in their army. Midian has 135,000 in their army. Now, when you look army to army, that's, the, the first thing is 135,000 to 32,000 is not good for the 32,000. But this is not just any 32,000. You've got to understand, they've been under oppression for seven years. They've had food stolen from them. They're weak. They're, they're really kind of a ragtag group. That, and even the Bible says that they, could, you know, they mustered up these that were willing to fight. So we don't even know if they were that trained. You know, yeah, I'll do it. You know, I'll, 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 I'll go. 32,000, they're weak, they're frail, they're... Uh, you know, they're hungry. And the Midianite army has 135,000. So they already had tons against them. And the Lord says to Gideon, you have too many. And we're all like, what? I think we have too few. And our few are not that strong. Because spiritual life lesson number seven as we move along here is God likes the odds to be against his people. <laughs> Welcome to the kingdom of God. Why does he like the odds to be against his people? It's what he told Gideon. He said, you know, if you guys somehow win this, you're going to think it was your own strength. Why does God like the, the odds to be stacked against his people is so that he gets all the glory. That it's always all about him. He created us to need him. He wants us to need him in relationship. That's why the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. It's because we, as, as believers, a lot of those faith steps are, well, unless God shows up, this isn't going to happen. We have to have God. That's why, you know, a lot of times we think that living life is to try to create the safest, most comfortable path for ourselves. And I'm not saying, I'm not just pointing at you. That's a, that's a temptation for all of us. What is the safest route 
the most cushion, the most ease. The only problem is there is no life like that. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to have struggles because we were created to need God. And so God likes the odds to be against His people so that we cry out to Him. The Word is filled with people in impossible situations. And then the God who does the impossible comes and He ministers. And again, as I said before, it's about making ourselves available to Him. It's not our ability. Look at the Red Sea. You know, the Israelites come out of captivity in Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. The odds are stacked in their favor. They've got an army coming up, uh, advancing against them. They've got a sea in front of them. There's nowhere to go. They are stuck. We need God. What does God do? He parts the Red Sea. So we serve a God who can part the sea. David and Goliath, we talked a little bit about that. You know, this, this little boy who the odds were stacked up against him, and he had more faith in the entire army because he came out there, and instead of seeing the giant, he saw the size of God. And he fixed his eyes on God and said, you know what? It doesn't matter how big that guy is. We've got God on our side. He's a nine-foot giant. We serve the God who measures mountains with his hands. We really have the odds in our favor with God. In the book of John, the little boy that brought his lunch to Jesus and they fed the 5,000 plus little boy made his lunch available to Jesus, and Jesus took the, the little bit that was given him. And, you know, if you're just looking at odds, this doesn't, this doesn't mathematically line up. How do you feed all these people with this little kid's lunch? Available to Christ, he breaks it, he blesses it, and he feeds a multitude. God can do more with the little that we give him than the much that we think that we have. He can restore your years. You, know, you can have regrets and you can say, I, I, I wasted these years. You know what? God can do more with your life in a week than you can do in 10 years of your own strength. Success, successes are failures. He can redeem. He can restore if we will put ourselves in His hands and make ourselves available to Him. Him at work in my life creates situations where he gets all the glory and I just make myself available to him. So then verse 3, I, I, he says, anyone who trembles, so he says, you have too many. You're down 135,000 to 32,000. Anyone who trembles with fear may turn and leave. 22,000 of those boys went home. I think that they saw it. I mean, from one point of view, you can say they were smart. If you were just looking at this from a, you know, a strategic military situation, these 22,000 were a little more astute, saying, okay, I'm starving, I'm very weak, you know, our, our weapons are primitive, you know, they have swords and they have, you know, whatever they have, and, you know, maybe we could throw a rock and hit one of them in the head or something, I don't know, you know, I, I haven't eaten in a week and I don't even know if I could get my rock to them. I'm going home, I'm afraid. So 22,000 of them leave. And they were thinking, we don't have a chance. But I want you to hear the distinction. He says, God is saying, anyone who trembles with fear may turn and leave. This is life lesson number eight. Living dictated by fear will make us ineffective. 
I want to make the distinction here of living, uh, of being afraid and being dictated or ruled by fear. God says anyone who trembles with fear may leave. In other words, whoever is being dictated, whoever's being driven, who is ever being uh, you know, manipulated by fear, they need to go home. Because living in faith, trust, and courage isn't the absence of fear. Do you guys know that? It's pressing on and responding in spite of the fear. I'll say that again. Living in faith, trust, and courage isn't the absence of fear, but pressing on and responding in spite of the fear. Because we all have fears, don't we? Do you deal with a fear? Is there something that you're afraid to do or you know, something that's kind of daunting to you that you look at the situation and, and it represents fear? Maybe God's asking you to do something you know, again. And I, I talked about last week, we, we, we sometimes think it's being courageous is these huge steps. Really, it's not. God might be saying, I want you to share your feelings with your wife, husband. And the husband's like, can I do skydiving instead? I'll do that instead of share my... I mean, so sometimes a simple act of obedience can represent great fear because maybe I wasn't raised with sharing my feelings. I don't really know how to share my feelings. I've never shared my feelings with anyone. And God, you want me to, to do what? And it can represent fear. But we all have fears, but true courage is actually pressing on and responding in spite of the fear, not being dictated by fear. The question is this, are we controlled and dictated by our fears? Do we live under those fears? The 22,000 that left, that was what God was making the distinction. Because I guarantee you, as God is whittling down this army, even Gideon kind of admits he's afraid. We'll get into that in a minute. But there was an element of fear, but the 10,000 that stayed said, you know what? Yeah, there is some fear, but we're willing to fight. We're willing to go. We're willing to do this. I think some of them were saying, you know what? We were down 135,000 to 32,000. What's the difference? Okay, we whittle it down to 10,000. Oh, well, big deal. We were already outnumbered. Because God... God in his, in his sovereignty understands, and this is something that we have to be recognized, is fear is contagious. And that's why he said those that are controlled by fear need to leave because fear is contagious and it has detrimental effects in battle and in war. That's why you hear some of these stories of, of, of men who have been in, in, in wartime situations and they freeze up because of the fear is crippling. And the heroic stories we hear are not people that weren't afraid. It was they were, they were afraid too, but they responded in spite of the fear, not dictated by the fear. That's why all throughout the Bible, and, and God tells Joshua, do not be afraid. Have courage. Do not be afraid. He tells him over and over, don't be afraid. The angel comes to Mary. The Christmas story. You're going to have a baby. And think of all the cultural implications that that had. You know, you're going to have a baby out of wedlock and... I'm sure that when the angel first came to her and made this declaration, there was an element of fear in her heart that says, I better count the cost here. This, this is, this is going to have great implications for my life. And that's why the angel said, fear not, Mary. 
But there's times and there's circumstances of our lives where, where maybe God, again, is asking us to do something, to be obedient. And the question is, will we respond in spite of the fear or will we live dictated by the fear? Maybe you guys know this, but there, in the Bible, there are 365 don't fears or fear nots. 365. One for every day. You have permission to not be afraid every day. And so then we go to verses 4 through 8. God says there's still too many. We've got 10,000. We're down 135,000 to 10,000. God says there's still too many. Okay, now it's just, just a suicide mission. This is crazy. And so God has them do this weird drinking test of water. I want you to take this 10,000, and uh, I want you to separate two groups, and, you know, and then they basically, you know, he said, watch for the guys that do this. They cup it in their hand, and they drink, and make the, the, the distinction between the guys that are just going like this, you know, and they just plunge their heads into the river. And you think from one level, why in the world is God making that distinction? Great question. I'm glad you asked. God was looking for something in the hearts of these men. Those who drank from their hands and then those who plunged their heads in to the river. The ones that lapped from their hands were watchful. And there was, it ended up being 300. The other guys just kind of plunged their heads into the river. There was kind of almost this, I think, somewhat of a case around whatever will be, will be, you know, whatever. We just plunge our head. The other guys were kind of on their knee. They're still watchful. These guys are still aware of what's going on and mindful that there is a real enemy, that there is a real issue going on here, and we are still watchful. We're still vigilant. They were paying attention. They were watchful. They were sober. They were discerning. They weren't living dictated by fear. They were just wise. You know, some people say, well, were, were they watching in fear? No, it was just wisdom, discernment. So spiritual life lesson number nine is keep a close watch on how you live. Keep a close watch on how you live. And I'm winding down for this week and we're going to, having some time of prayer here in a few moments. But just that word watch, being watchful, being mindful. At the end of Mark chapter 13, Jesus is giving this discourse on the end times, and the, the last word of Mark 13 is watch. Be ready. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober and vigilant. Or, here's another translation, be self-controlled and alert. Sober and vigilant, self-controlled and alert, your enemy the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Peter is saying there is a real battle, there is a real enemy, we are in a real situation here. And so I'm encouraging you, be sober, be vigilant, be watchful, be self-controlled, be alert. Not in fear, but in wisdom and discernment. 
And that's that daily walking it out with the Lord saying, God, I, I love you and I need you today. That's, that's an act of being sober and vigilant. That's an act of being alert. I want to be watchful today. I want to pay attention to what's going on. I want to keep a close watch on how I live. It's of the utmost importance that we are watchful of how we live our lives. I want to read this passage as we kind of close down here. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is writing to Timothy, this young pastor, and I think it's something for all of us. If you, if you want to turn there, you can, but 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I want you to listen to what Paul is telling him. Timothy is one of these guys, you know, Paul would travel around, plant these churches, and, and Timothy was put in charge of the church in Ephesus, and, and he's encouraging him, and I encourage you to receive this encouragement from, uh, from the Word of God and to apply it to our own hearts. But listen to what he's talking about in, in, in this idea of being sober and being vigilant and being watchful on how we live. 1 Timothy 4, 14. He says this, Do not neglect the spiritual gift you receive through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. So he said, don't neglect that. Walk in what God has gifted you with. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourselves into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Then verse 16, as he drives this point home, keep a close watch on how you live. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Some translations is, it's your life and your doctrine. Your life and your doctrine. The way you live and your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. The eternal implications of how we live our lives are absolutely important. And Paul is saying this to Timothy. He said, watch how you live your life. Even, I like how he says, watch how you live and your teaching. In other words, your teaching is not really going to matter if you're not living the life. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything if you have good doctrine and you're not living it out day to day. Even the enemy came to Jesus with Scripture. The devil knows the Bible. James says that the, he's, it's more than just a head knowledge of belief. He said even the demons believe and tremble. But that doesn't mean that they're having a healthy fear of the Lord. Watch the way you live. Keep a close watch on how you live and your teaching. Because as we live our lives, and, it, and I've said this before, it'll be the loudest sermon that we preach, and then all of a sudden, people will want to know your teaching and your doctrine. But if we're just arguing with people of our doctrine and we're not living the life, we have a contradiction, we're a walking contradiction. And so Paul is telling Timothy this, of, of be watchful, be sober, be vigilant, be self-controlled, be alert, the devil's real, the battle's real, and you need to understand that. Watch how you live your life and watch your teaching and your doctrine. And, it's, and he ends it by saying this, for your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. People's lives are on the line. 
Their eternal souls are on the line of how we live our lives and what we do. And if we're living for the Lord, and we can be encouraged by this if we kind of go in reverse here and say, God, help me to live before you, stay under your authority every day, to give my life to you every day, to walk with you every day, to ask for the power and the infilling of his spirit every day, to get in his word every day, to be intimate with the Lord and have relationship with him every single day. That's how we keep a close watch on how we live. Let's pray. By the way, we're going to pick us up and we're going to conclude the story next week. I'm going to have the worship team come on up. Jesus, we love you today. Lord, we honor you. And I, I just thank you, God, that you are here, that your presence is with us, your presence is among us. And Lord, I, 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 as I, even as I read this story, and uh, Lord, even in some ways just preach to myself, God, I want to apply these things to my life. Lord, help me to be more than just a guy up here just telling these things. Lord, I, I want to know how to live it too. I want us to live it together, Lord God, as Doug's word, as we come together and we're in agreement and we come in unity. Well, Lord, we want to live it together. We want to live it together. We want to fix our eyes on you every single day. We want to live for you every day, God, even when the, the odds are stacked against us. And maybe you're going through something and you're in a season where you feel like the odds are against you. And you just are thinking, I don't have, there's no way out of this mess. This, uh, I, I just don't see a fi good finish line to this. I don't, I don't see how this can end well. And you're kind of up against the wall. You're kind of feel like you're in a corner of sorts. Well, the Lord is here today. And he, you know what? And it's not, not in a weird way and not in a, 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 a mean way, but I want you to hear the heartbeat of this. But he likes it when the odds are against you. Because he wants to show up in your life. He wants to do something in your heart and in your life today. Maybe you're here and you're dealing with fear and fear has gripped you and you, more than just being afraid, you have been living dictated by fear and you know maybe the Lord is asking something of you, maybe to trust him and obey him in a certain area and whenever you think about it, it just, the fear rises up. Well, the Lord's here today and he wants to walk with you through that because he loves you. And then the third thing is this. Maybe there's an area of your life that is not surrendered and not under the lordship of Christ. And even when I said that about, you know, when, when Paul is telling Timothy, keep a close watch on how you live and your teaching. Maybe there's an area of your life that is not right before God. You know what? There's no shame in that. This is the, a great day to respond to the Lord because he loves you. Because we just don't, we don't, there's, there's, we don't have a lot of time on this earth and time is short and, and we want to be sober. We want to be vigilant. We want to be watchful. We want to be discerning. Again, not in a fearful way, but in a loving and trusting way of saying, God, I want to walk with you. And we want to bring those things under his lordship, under his authority, if there's an area God is pointing at you, I encourage you today, don't leave until you've gotten things right with God. 
So the way we're going to close the worship team, they're just going to begin to worship the Lord. And I encourage you, we're going to open up the front here, and if you'd like to come and just be alone with God, and I'm going to have our leaders come up too, and you know we might come along. If you're up here, we might just come up and pray for you, pray with you. If there's something specific that you want prayer about, um, please you know, let us know. We would love to agree with you and just and join with you in prayer. Uh, you know, but maybe you just need to get along with God. Maybe you just need to hang out and worship God. And I encourage you to just spend some time with the Lord. If you want to stay in your seat, that's fine. If you need to go, that's fine. But uh, again, I'm not going to have a, a, an official dismissal, but I uh, just encourage you to just to take some time just to be alone with God and, and worship the Lord. And whatever the Lord is putting on your heart, just respond to him. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you're speaking. God, and I pray that we would be right before you. Lord, this life is too short. We want to run the race with diligence, being watchful, running it with you, loving you. Under your covering, under your authority, we surrender you today in Jesus' name.